Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everyone, it's Dick. And Max. The hosts of Off the Cuffs, a kink and BDSM podcast. A podcast for those in the lifestyle and those who are curious about it. Each week we sit down with a different guest to discuss their radioactive spider bite into kink. And it gives everybody a chance to express themselves in matters of sexuality. And a platform in which to express it. It's conversational, it's educational, and it's a lot of fun. More and more people have been reaching out to us telling us what they've learned about themselves just from us sharing our stories with each other every week. So find Off the Cuffs on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service and follow us on twitter and instagram at ocp kink hey y'all jen and Lindsay here from the corpus delicti podcast here to tell you to check out our show if true crime's your thing it's ours too just a little dash of lightheartedness and a hint of southern charm serial killers controversial cases historical hallmarks we've got it all so just join us every tuesday on itunes podbeam or many other podcast apps as we dive into compelling cases and crack them open for you you can also find us on facebook twitter and instagram that's c-o-r-p-u-s-d-e-l-i-c-t-i see you tuesday On May 21st of 1924, 14-year-old Bobby Franks was killed for the thrill of it by two wealthy Chicago-area teens looking to commit the perfect murder. The legacy of Leopold and Loeb and their crime of the century has inspired many film adaptations, including the 2002 thriller Murder by Numbers. This is based on a true crime. everyone and welcome to this week's based on a true crime i'm chelsea and i love true crime and i'm david and i love horror movies and uh this week we will be talking about the 2002 classic (laughs) yeah (laughs) can i call it a classic why not Uh, go for it murder by numbers starring a very young ryan gosling (laughs) Oh, I was going to say very handsome, but I feel like he's still in his uh, aw- phase. awkward duckling stage. Or wait, awkward gosling stage. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Um, but yeah, this is one we're really excited about. It's a, a very classic 
crime also, an infamous crime, a crime of the century, if you will, a trial of the century for sure. Although, I mean, there's the OJ trial. A murder Um, by numbers, perhaps. Yeah, Um, but it's the case of Leopold and Loeb. Um, But before we get into it, we have a few shout outs. So I want to start by mentioning uh, Corpus Delicti. They were the promo that we played before we got started. It's a really great podcast that is um, fairly new, although it's probably been around as long as us. So as new as us. And I've been really enjoying it. Um, they've had some really, really moving episodes. And actually, one of their more recent two-parters is about the Sam Shepard case, which is the case that inspired the movie The Fugitive. They did a great job. Uh, it was an excellent two-parter. Um, man with one arm. Yeah. Very Young cool. Harrison Ford. But then we also got some new five-star reviews. We did. So we'd like to give a quick shout out to Thing176, Salty Canadian. Yeah, Salty Canadian has a <laughs> podcast. I want to put that out there. Um, yeah, she's got a really cool podcast called The Salty Canadian, uh, where it's a mix of she gets some podcasters on to read articles and it you know, talks about them. It's uh, it's another new one. She had a short hiatus, but she's back now. And I listened to her newest one today about UFOs and it's really good. So check her out if you're looking for more podcasts to listen to. Nice. Um, and also creepy brain fan Becky. Um, <laughs> That's Becky. That's our Becky. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Becky. I know it wasn't easy to figure out how to review, but we appreciate it very much. Yeah, thank you. Um, we'd also like to um, acknowledge the correct guesses for our episode, um, starting with an awkward artist one on Instagram who guessed the movie. Um, and the case, and, yeah. Yes. And the case. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And she's from our previous hometown of St. Louis and makes awesome jewelry. So Very cool. She has an Etsy shop. Yeah, so go check that and out. And she knows her shit. She guessed it. Oh, can I say shit on our podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She guessed it almost immediately after I posted the image of the ransom note. So excellent job, an awkward artist one. Yeah, and also um, Laurel on Facebook. Yes, thank you. She had read a book about the case. Oh, so cool. that's where, where she recognized it so immediately. Um, but I I told her the movie was Murder by Numbers and she had not seen it. So she said she's going to try to watch it before the episode. So. Oh, right. And speaking oh. of just picking movies, I did want to mention that there was a question of whether we would do Murder by Numbers. We were trying to pick between Murder by Numbers and the Alfred Hitchcock movie Rope. <laughs> and we picked Murder by Numbers because we're us. <laughs> but uh, so sorry to Olivia from Something's Not Right, the excellent Nashville based podcast that i've talked about a couple times on the show we did not we did not pick the good movie we picked the fun movie <laughs> yeah it was like uh oh a, a young ryan gosling movie i don't know i've never seen it but sandra bullock used to be on her so <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> and that should be true of everyone out there if ryan gosling does not sell you on this movie it's a sandra bullock cop movie which we'll get into that in the movie discussion yeah we'll so, get into that yeah. but um at some point we will do a hitchcock film i promise you that oh and we already know which one we're doing <laughs> well yeah, yeah. We, we've mentioned it before but we're not gonna say it now All right. Well, let's get into it. Nathan Freudenthal Leopold Jr. was born on November 19th of 1904. He was the son of wealthy German immigrants who had made their fortune in the freight and transport industry after arriving in America. Reports of his intelligence from a very young age have likely been exaggerated, but they state that he was a child prodigy who spoke his first words at four months old and that he had an IQ of 210. 
Which, let me just say, I'm not impressed because my amazing niece, who is not even three months old, has said ma. Referring to, of course, my sister, who is her mother. Yeah. But, like, she's too cool to say mama or mommy. So she went straight for the ma, which I think is very hip and with it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Shout out to my baby niece. Yes. I love you. We love you. And for reference against that, um, Albert Einstein had an IQ level between 160 and 190. So the genius benchmark is set at 140, which may not be directly comparable because IQ tests have changed over time. Yes. Yeah, so 140 is the kind of more modern threshold. So at the time, he was tested to be 210. If he had taken the test nowadays, he would probably have been lower, but still obviously very, very smart or I don't know about smart, <laughs> had a very high IQ. Yeah, I feel like if I took it now, I'd get like a 20 or something. I don't think you'd get a 20. You're a functioning adult. No, I test poorly. So um, as a child, Nathan had a lot of trouble connecting with other children, which was both due to his intelligence and his arrogance. He was bullied at public school, and eventually his family moved to the exclusive Kenwood neighborhood of Chicago and transferred him to the Harvard School for Boys, which was a private school where he quickly advanced academically. When he was 12, he was reportedly sexually abused, though, by his governess, Matilda. At age 15, he began attending the University of Chicago, and it was here in 1920 that he first met Richard Loeb, who was a fellow prodigy. So Richard Albert Loeb was born on June 11th, 1905, and his family was also exceptionally wealthy. His father, Albert Henry Loeb, was a prominent lawyer and had once been the vice president of a little company you may have heard of, Ooh, which uh, one? Sears Roebuck and Company, uh-huh. so, although they're disappearing nowadays. Oh, somebody was just telling me if you run out of toilet paper, they'd use the Sears Robot Robot catalog. And I was like, okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Not just order it on Amazon? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can wait two days for delivery of toilet paper. I don't know. Yeah. You use your iPad? Yeah. Oh. So, <laughs> you use your iPad to wipe your ass? Yeah. That's what, yeah. The, yes, that was the joke. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little slow on the uptake. No, no, no. Uh, so, Lou, uh, Lube. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Loeb also had a genius IQ of 160, and he skipped several grades while growing up, but he was considerably less motivated than Leopold in his academic pursuits. Loeb was often described as lazy, and he was also fascinated with crime from a young age, voraciously reading detective novels. So I guess that was like his equivalent of me perusing the Wikipedia pages of all of those infamous crimes. Right on. Uh, So unlike Leopold, though, Loeb thrived in social environments. He was very outgoing and popular at school. He was also very handsome, kind of like Ryan Gosling. Today, not as as a child actor. So Loeb graduated high school in two years, just after his 14th birthday. And he began attending the University of Chicago after graduating. However, due to his accelerated high school studies... And also the fact that maybe he was 14, (laughs) he was really not prepared for the demands of a university curriculum, and he received mediocre grades during his first year. All right. Well, Loeb met Leopold just as Leopold was preparing to begin his own first year of studies at the University of Chicago. The two boys could not be more different in terms of their personalities, but they had a shared interest in crime and in the works of Friedrich Nietzsche. 
Leopold was drawn to Nietzsche's description of Ubermenschen or Superman. He would write in a letter to Loeb that, quote, a Superman is, on account of certain superior qualities inherent to him, exempted from the ordinary laws which govern men. He is not liable for anything he may do. He considered both himself and Loeb to be Superman due to their superior intellect. So egotistical. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just a bit. But you also do have to consider these were very young teenagers. So these delusions of grandeur, I think, may be somewhat understandable, you know, when you're 14 and attending college. But unfortunately, it does take a dark turn. Yeah, it takes a dark turn because um, they believed that they themselves were above the law, according to this concept. And the boys began to embark in petty crimes together, which included cheating at cards, smashing car windows, and then eventually arson and theft. They even stole the typewriter, which they would later use to write their ransom note from the fraternity house on campus. Their crime spree thrilled Loeb, who would push for the pair to commit more and more serious crimes in hope of gaining media coverage. Leopold, on the other hand, seemed drawn more to Loeb than to their criminal pursuits. He was absolutely enthralled by Loeb, who was not only brilliant, like himself, but extremely sociable in a way that Leopold could never be. Loeb began to entice Leopold to be his partner in crime in return for sex. So their relationship continued until 1921, when Loeb decided to transfer to the University of Michigan, where I believe his family had a big vacation home in uh, Michigan. So that may be the root of the choice, plus the fact that he was not doing very well at the University of Chicago. So while there, Loeb became very popular and he was an active member of a fraternity, but he did spend most of his time just drinking and playing cards and picking up girls and all of that college stuff. So he essentially abandoned Leopold, who dedicated himself to his studies. Uh, So while Loeb would barely graduate from the University of Michigan in 1923, which is still quite a feat because he was 17 and at the time he was their youngest graduate ever. Uh, But Leopold would graduate from the University of Chicago with Phi Beta Kappa honors. He studied 15 languages while there and became fluent in five of them. And he also became a nationally recognized ornithologist, which is someone who studies birds. Apparently, he was one of a handful of ornithologists who identified some like songbird in Chicago that hadn't been seen in like whatever, 100 years or something. Oh, wow. That's (laughs) impressive. Very impressive. Yeah. So in September of 1923, Loeb returned to the University of Chicago and enrolled in a postgraduate course in constitutional history. And Leopold had remained at the university there and enrolled in their law school. So once the two were reconnected, they rekindled their relationship and Loeb became obsessed with committing the perfect crime, which was, you know, to him, one that would finally gain them some national media attention. And by November, they had settled on what this crime would be. And it would be the kidnapping of a boy from a wealthy family and demanding a substantial ransom, which I think the concept probably that is what would gain you that national media attention? Because you have to think this is in the 1920s. It's not like nowadays when pretty much any missing person, you know, from all over the country, you can see popping up on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, It was a little bit harder. So maybe the the concept was correct, but as you'll see there, they did not stick the landing. So um, in addition to kidnapping a boy, they decided that they would need to kill him. 
in order to prevent them later being identified. They spent seven months planning this crime, including how they would abduct the boy, how they would dispose of his body, and also coming up with a complex series of ransom notes with instructions for how they would obtain the money. And they typed these ransom notes on the typewriter, which they'd stolen from the fraternity. They also decided on what weapon they would use to commit the murder. And they decided on a chisel. Yikes. Yeah. I feel like with this crime, it feels so devoid of emotion that a chisel just seems like a very weird weapon choice yeah it seems very visceral and close quarters kind of very close quarters yeah so once their perfect crime was planned they needed the perfect victim the two staked out the grounds of harvard school for boys which Loeb had attended and which was located in the kidwood area where both boys grew up Eventually, they settled on 14-year-old Robert Bobby Franks. He was the son of Jacob Franks, who was estimated to be worth $4 million, which was a huge fortune at the time. He'd earned his wealth through real estate and as the president of a watch company. Bobby Franks was already well-known to Loeb because they were second cousins and lived across the street from each other. Bobby was outgoing and a bright student. He was thin and small for his age, but was active in sports. He even used to play tennis with Loeb at Loeb's home. In a strange coincidence, a few days before his murder, Bobby took part in and won a debate competition at school where he argued against capital punishment due to the link between criminality and mental illness. On Wednesday, May 21st, 1924, Bobby volunteered to serve as umpire for a baseball game his schoolmates were having. By 5.15 p.m., the game ended and Bobby began walking home. His house at 5052 South Ellis Street was only three blocks from the Harvard School. He passed by the car where Leopold and Loeb were staking out the school, and at that moment, they decided that he was going to be their perfect victim. Uh, Loeb already knew how wealthy Bobby's father was, so it seemed like that $10,000 ransom that they wanted would actually be feasible. When Bobby was about a block from the school, the two flagged him down and they offered him a ride home. Initially, he refused because his walk was so short, but Loeb said that he wanted to talk to Bobby about the tennis racket he had used the previous day because Loeb said that he wanted to buy one for his brother. Leopold and Loeb had rented a Willis Knight under the name Morton D. Ballard. So a Willis Knight is a type of car and when i was imagining this you know play out in my head you know imagine the two in like i don't know like an oldsmobile or something and i was like wait this is the 1920s it's like imagine the oldest car you can picture in your head and that's what it is it's like the boxy one with the weird like little round headlights that stick out from the front it is an old car so it's like five minutes after the horse and a yes. minute into the buggy yeah um so so yeah but apparently even back then they had enterprise or whatever because they rented this car (laughs) um under the name morton d ballard i love it um so there's some dispute as to the actual sequence of events which we'll get into a little later when we get into the confession but uh what's commonly accepted as what happened is that leopold was driving while loeb was sitting in the back seat of the car And when Loeb offered his second cousin the ride, he invited Bobby to sit in the front seat next to Leopold. Within the two-block drive from where they picked him up towards his house, uh, Loeb would grab the chisel from where he sat in the back seat and hit Bobby in the head with it four times. 
and Bobby was still alive after this. So Leopold grabbed him and dragged him over the front seat into the back seat, shoved a rag down the boy's throat and taped his mouth shut. And he died shortly after this. So Leopold and Loeb took Bobby's body to a remote site, which they had previously chosen, in a culvert along the Pennsylvania Railroad tracks, which was just north of Wolf Lake in Hammond, Indiana. And that's about 25 miles southeast of Chicago. They removed Bobby's clothes, and then they poured hydrochloric acid on his face, his abdominal scar, and his genitals in order to prevent identification of his body. While dumping the body, a pair of Leopold's eyeglasses unknowingly fell from his jacket pocket, and they were lost in the muddy ground foreshadowing (laughs) yep um after that the boys returned to the city and dropped the ransom note in a post box and they were anticipating that it would arrive at the frank's home around eight o'clock the following morning the note read dear sir as you no doubt know by this time your son has been kidnapped allow us to assure you that he is at present well and safe you need fear no physical harm for him provided you live up carefully to the following instructions and such others as you will receive by future communications. Should you, however, disobey any of our instructions, even slightly, his death will be the penalty. For obvious reasons, make absolutely no attempt to communicate with either the police authorities or any private agency. Should you already have communicated with the police, allow them to continue their investigations, but do not mention this letter. Secure before noon today $10,000. This money must be composed entirely of old bills of the following denominations. $2,000 in $20 bills, $8,000 in $50 bills. The money must be old. Any attempt to include new or marked bills will render the entire venture futile. The money should be placed in a large cigar box, or if this is impossible, in a heavy cardboard box securely closed and wrapped in white paper. The wrapping paper should be sealed at all openings with sealing wax. Have the money with you, prepared as directed above, and remain at home after 1 o'clock p.m. See that the telephone is not in use. You will receive a future communication instructing you as to your future course. As a final word of warnings, this is a strictly commercial proposition, and we are prepared to put our threat into execution should we have reasonable grounds to believe that you have committed an infraction of the above instructions. However, should you carefully follow out our instructions to the letter, we can assure you that your son will be safely returned to you within six hours of our receipt of the money. Yours truly, George Johnson. Leopold also called the Franks at around 10.30 p.m. that night, while Jacob and Samuel Edelson, who was a former state senator and close friend to the Franks, were out searching for Bobby. He spoke to Bobby's mother, Flora Franks, calling himself, quote, George Johnson, and informing her that they had kidnapped Bobby and that instructions for delivering the ransom would be arriving soon. Leopold and Lowe burned their blood-stained clothes and cleaned the bloodstains from the rental car, then spent the rest of their evening playing cards. Leopold had told Mrs. Franks not to go to the police or they would harm Bobby. But of course, at 2 a.m. that morning, they did decide to go to the police. They went to the police station and reported the crime to Lieutenant Robert Welling, but swore him to secrecy so that no report was filed. 
The next day at around 9 a.m., Bobby Franks' body was found submerged in the culvert by Tony Minky, a worker for the American Maze Company. They dragged his body to dry land and called the East Side Police Department. Because no official report was filed about Bobby's kidnapping, the officers assumed that this was an accidental drowning. They sent the body, along with some belongings found nearby, to the morgue. Among the belongings were a pair of horn-rimmed glasses. Dun, dun, dun. So the following morning, the ransom note arrived at the Franks. Immediately, Jacob Franks went to the bank, as instructed, to take out the $10,000 in cash. He waited by the phone from 1 p.m. when the note said the kidnappers would call. And Leopold did not call until 3.15 p.m. And he informed Jacob that a cab would arrive at the house shortly and that he should enter the cab with the money and take it to 63rd and University Avenue and wait for their next phone call at the drugstore on that corner. Their plan was to tell Jacob when he went to the drugstore to get on the next southbound train departing from Shore Station. On that train, they had left a second note which told Franks that at a certain point while riding the train, he should throw the money out the window to a place where Leopold and Loeb would be waiting to collect it. So the car pulled up and Jacob ran outside with the money. However, he forgot the intersection where the drugstore was located. He ran back inside to check the notepad where he had written the instructions. And as he did, the phone rang again. It was his brother-in-law, Eddie Gershom, with news that Bobby Franks' body had been found. Lieutenant Welling had heard about the body of a young boy found on the south side and asked Eddie to go to the morgue to see if it was Bobby. Despite the mutilation, he recognized his nephew immediately. Initially, the police investigation focused on teachers at the Harvard School for Boys, and in the process, three different teachers had their names published in newspapers as being connected to the crime, and that ruined their reputations. During this time, Leopold spoke with the police and with reporters, offering theories about the crime and even stating, quote, If I were to murder anybody, it would be just such a cocky little son of a bitch as Bobby Franks. What a genius way to just throw suspicion off yourself by literally saying that you would murder Bobby Franks after murdering Bobby Franks. Yeah, let's add motive to <laughs> where there was none. Ridiculous. Let me remind you, IQ of 210. 210. Murder by numbers. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, finally, the police received a break in the case when they were informed by Jacob Franks that his son had perfect vision, and that meant that the glasses found near Bobby's body didn't belong to him. Although the prescription and frame were common enough, there was a hinge mechanism that was extremely unique, and only three of those were sold to Almer Co. and Company customers in the Chicago area, and one of those customers was Nathan Leopold. What a coincidence. That guy who said that he would kill Bobby Franks because he was a son of a bitch <laughs> owned glasses that were found near the body. Hmm. Hmm. What a shocking turn of events. Yep. What yeah. a twist. The pair were formally questioned on May 29th, barely a week after the murder. Leopold claimed that he may have dropped his glasses there while on a birdwatching expedition. As an alibi, the pair said that they were driving around Chicago in Leopold's car and picked up two women named Edna and May, but dropped them off later without ever learning their last names. This alibi fell apart when police questioned Leopold's chauffeur, because of course he had a chauffeur. <laughs> So the chauffeur and the chauffeur's wife both informed police that Leopold's car was parked in the garage that night, all night, while the chauffeur was repairing it. 
So Loeb was the first to crack, and he claimed that Leopold planned everything and killed Bobby while Loeb was driving. And of course, Leopold claimed the opposite. He said that Loeb was the mastermind and the one who killed Bobby. Most people believe Leopold. However, there was one witness, Carl Olvi, who claimed to have seen the pair shortly before Bobby was kidnapped. And he said that Loeb was the one who was driving while Leopold was sitting in the back seat. So for what it's worth, in a book that Leopold later published about the crime, he said that he pleaded with Loeb to admit to being the one who killed Bobby. But Loeb told him, quote, Mompsy feels less terrible than she might, thinking you did it. And I'm not going to take that shred of comfort away from her. So never trust someone who calls their mom Mompsy. 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 It's not even British. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it should be said with a British accent and... He's from Chicago. Yeah, is Mumps? So, I don't think. Mumps yeah, there are, there are some interesting parallels. I don't know if we'll talk about this later, but uh, it's just interesting to me. After they were caught, the parallels between these two and Hickok and Smith and In Cold Blood, where they both tried to put the blame on the other people, and they both apparently cared very much what their moms thought after killing people. So, yeah. do you care about your mom? Don't kill someone. Your mom's going to feel bad about it, no matter who of the pair did the actual striking with the chisel. So both men did admit that they killed for the thrill of it, which was, you know, it's well known now, the idea of thrill killers, but at the time was very shocking. They said that they killed in order to fulfill their desire to commit the perfect crime. And Leopold said of killing Bobby Franks, quote, The killing was an experiment. It is just as easy to justify a death as it is to justify an entomologist killing a beetle on a pin. He also told a reporter, quote, A thirst for knowledge is highly commendable, no matter what extreme pain or injury it may inflict upon others. A six-year-old boy is justified in pulling the wings from a fly. If by so doing, he learns that without wings, the fly is helpless. So both analogies saying that someone else's life is equivalent to the life of an insect. That's pretty telling. Um, It is pretty telling. Don't do those to insects either. That's awful. Well, I mean, I've swatted flies before. Well, I know, but, you know, this but is I one like, of those, yeah. you know, next to, like, skinning squirrels when you're a kid yeah. or whatever. But it's interesting. He, like, he does talk about it being more scientific, not, like, swat at a fly because it's buzzing and annoying. It's, like, pulling wings off an insect to see what happens. Right. Which is essentially what they did, but it was killing someone for the hell of it. So I think that's called being a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Loeb's family hired the famed criminal defense attorney Clarence Darrow in hopes of achieving the best outcome for their child. In this case, the best outcome would be life in prison. The case against the pair was so staggering that Darrow realized that any trial before a jury, even one where the pair would plead not guilty by reason of insanity, would end with them being convicted and sentenced to death. Darrow was a staunch opponent of capital punishment, and his strong convictions were on display during the 32-day-long sentencing hearing. That's really long for a sentencing hearing. This is not a trial. Yeah. This is a sentencing hearing. They decide to forego a trial by jury. So this is just trying to convince a judge. 
oh, we'll just days. wait. So yeah. in addition to presenting the extensive psychiatric testimony, Darrow ended the hearing with a 12-hour-long plea for mercy um, in a speech which focused more on the future of the American justice system rather than on any specific aspects of the case on hand. I know the future is with me and what I stand for here, not merely for the lives of these two unfortunate lads, but for all boys and all girls, for all of the young and, as far as is possible, for all of the old. I am pleading for life, understanding, charity, kindness, and the infinite mercy that considers all. I am pleading that we overcome cruelty with kindness and hatred with love. I know the future is on my side, but your honor stands between the past and the future. You may hang these boys. You may hang them by the neck until they are dead. But in doing it, you will turn your face toward the past. In doing it, you are making it harder for every boy who in ignorance and darkness must grope his way through the mazes which only childhood knows. In doing it, you will make it harder for unborn children. You may instead save them and make it easier for every child that sometime may stand where these boys stand. You will make it easier for every human being with an aspiration and a vision and a hope and a fate. I am pleading for the future. I am pleading for a time when hatred and cruelty will not control the hearts of men, when we can learn by reason and judgment and understanding and faith that all life is worth saving and that mercy is the highest attribute of man. So Darrow convinced the judge who sentenced the pair to life in prison plus 99 years for kidnapping in September of 1924. They were both initially held in Joliet prison, and although attempts were made to keep the pair apart, they maintained their relationship. Eventually, uh, both of them were transferred to the Stateville Penitentiary, where they worked together to expand the prison school system to include high school and junior college classes. At first, Leopold and Loeb were receiving large sums of money from their families, which they would use in the prison store, but eventually this sum was reduced to just $5 a week. This influx of money made the pair a target, but was also being used as a sort of insurance. Loeb had been using some of the money to pay a former cellmate, who was named James E. Day, to leave Loeb alone because Day had been abusing and threatening him. On January 28th of 1936, Loeb was attacked by Day with a straight razor in the prison's shower room. Uh, Loeb was taken to the prison hospital, and Leopold joined him there when he heard what had happened. Leopold offered his blood for a transfusion, but the doctors refused because they realized that it was already too late. Uh, So before his death, Loeb's last words to Leopold were, quote, I think I'm going to make it. Which, like, I don't really feel bad for him because of what they did. But it's still just, like, a little, oh. Yeah, it's kind of like that. You're not going to make it. I'm sorry, dude. Yeah. How do you feel, Dak? I feel like I can take the whole empire on myself. (laughs) No. So, Day, uh, James E. Day, would later claim that Loeb had attempted to assault him in the shower. So, it's like sexually assault him in the shower. But this scenario seems unlikely. Loeb had 50 wounds from the attack, while Day had zero wounds. And also, Loeb's throat had been cut from behind. Both Leopold and a prison chaplain reported that Day was a sexual predator and that Day was angry at Loeb because he refused to have sex with him. But despite this, prison authorities ruled that Day had been acting in self-defense, and later Day would be tried and acquitted of Loeb's murder. 
Leopold was deeply affected by the death of his friends, screaming for hours on end in his cell until he was moved to be under the care of prison psychologists. Uh, Loeb ended up dedicating himself to improving conditions within the prison, including organizing the prison library, teaching students at the prison school, and volunteering to be part of the Stateville Penitentiary Malaria Study, where he was deliberately inoculated with malaria and subjected to experimental treatments. He wrote books for the school, and he would write on the cover of these books, Rationae Autem Liberamur, which... Uh, is Latin and it translates to by reason however we are set free. He also worked hard to try to reclaim Loeb's uh, reputation not thinking that it was fair for Loeb to die being thought of as only a child killer and a sexual predator which okay maybe it's fair if he was not trying to sexually assault Day he should not be thought of as you know someone who was killed in self-defense while trying to sexually assault another person. But he was a child killer. He did kill a child. Yeah, but they can both I just, did. Yeah, but can I just say that it's like the fact that Leopold worked so hard to kind of have an impact in the criminal justice system in prisons, which today even we're still talking about there needing to be an overhaul. That's kind of remarkable for the time. Yeah. It's just an it's interesting so, yeah. part of his side story. Yeah, and it's... I mean, you'll you'll see. We could talk about it more when we kind of talk about, you know, his I like I don't want to call it redemption because he's, you know, he's a very smart, calculating individual. And it's hard to imagine the person who was saying those things at 19 comparing, you know, murdering a child to ripping the wings off of a fly magically turned into someone who cared about other people. I think that the murder was a very calculated decision. And not committing more murders was a calculated decision. You know, he was never a serial killer. It was never about killing people. It was about committing the perfect crime and trying to get away with it and then failing utterly at that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in 1956, a University of Chicago classmate, Mayor Levin, published a fictional novel inspired by the case called Compulsion. Which was also turned into a movie. (laughs) There are many movies based on this case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Levin had contacted Leopold asking for his cooperation while writing the novel, but Leopold refused as he was working on his own memoir at the time. Levin published the novel anyway, and Leopold wrote about his feelings reading the book, saying he felt, quote, physically sick. More than once, I had to lay the book down and wait for the nausea to subside. I felt as I suppose a man would feel if he were exposed, start naked under a strong spotlight before a large audience. Leopold would also attempt to block the production of a film version of Levin's novel, saying it would defame him, but a judge ruled against him due to the fact that committing the crime of the century did not leave him much of a reputation to be ruined. Very fair decision. Yeah. Well, in 1958, Leopold published his autobiography which was called Life Plus 99 Years, and it told about the immediate aftermath of their crime without any recounting of his childhood or describing any details about the murder. Due to these omissions, many people feel that he was trying to rehabilitate his public image without acknowledging the gravity of his crime. And maybe it worked, because that March, Leopold was released on parole. He had served 33 years for the crime. Leopold moved to Santruz, Puerto Rico, and married a widowed florist. He became a medical technician at the Brethren Service Commission's Castaner General Hospital, where he worked as a laboratory and x-ray assistant. 
He attributed his successful rehabilitation and lack of any parole violations to the Brethren Service Commission, saying that the job gave him not only a home and a sponsorship, but also companionship, acceptance, and love. He went on to earn a master's degree at the University of Puerto Rico, where he taught classes and researched leprosy. He also worked for the social service program of Puerto Rico's Department of Health and for an urban renewal and housing agency, and was active in the Natural History Society of Puerto Rico. He traveled the island to observe his bird life and published the Checklist of Birds of Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands in 1963. He had plans to write a second memoir, calling it Snatch for a Halo, about his life after prison. Before he could, he died of a diabetes-related heart attack on August 29th of 1971, and he was 66 years old. The end. Yeah. Yeah. That's the end of their story so before we get into the discussion i wanted to thank a couple folks you may have noticed some passages that were not read by us (laughs) so tanner was our clarence darrow and he is one of the hosts of the legends myths and whiskey podcast so they chat about you know stories they have conversations and obviously they drink whiskey (laughs) Um, And he's also involved in Seder production, which uh, they do editing, mastering, and composition for podcasts and other independent creatives, which should get him to start editing our podcast. Save me a couple hours of work. No? Yeah. Thank you so much. You're perfect. I would absolutely uh, hire you to get me off of a death penalty trial. (laughs) Thank you, Clarence. I mean, uh, Tanner. (laughs) The voice of our note was at Hollywood.ron on Instagram, who's a contributor to the Continuous Play podcast, where he's a contributor to Filmstrip. He's also a writer and contributor to denofgeek.com and the owner of popfy.com. Thanks a lot, Ron. Getting into the discussion, the first thing I have written here is just perfect crime, question mark, question mark. So obviously there were a lot of things wrong with their perfect crime. It kind of felt like the crime dreamed up by people who only knew about crimes from reading detective novels, which I guess they were. But I can think of some big mistakes from the start. I mean, the biggest one obviously being they picked a victim that they knew that could be easily connected to them and then spoke to the media about it. Those seem like two big no-nos. Yeah, I feel like if you throw the net out, like... They're immediately kind of under the net. Yes. As a, as just, just they're going to be suspects regardless. Yeah. And you know, the fact that they did not have a better alibi thought up. I don't know if they just didn't expect to ever need an alibi. They thought that they were so smart that they, yeah, they would never even be suspected. But to say you were out driving a car when other people know that your car was home the whole time. <laughs> So minus 10 for that. Dumping the body in a place where it was literally found within 12 hours. <laughs> I don't understand how you can't do better. Or uh-huh. like overlooking the fact that you have a sort of specialty glasses that would be easily identifiable. I mean, of course, there's like some, I guess, wealth involved, right? Behind having that type of mechanism yeah. on the glasses. But it's like if I had a, a pair of glasses that cost $1,000, I probably would make sure I knew where they were. Just leave them at home. Yeah, leave them at home. You know, if you're not wearing them where you would notice them if they fell off your face, there's no reason to be carrying them around. Absolutely not. I say that as someone who like, I wear my glasses a lot, but they're mostly for distance. I can read without them. Um, I hope those glasses I lost in the river never get found next to a body. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, uh, David did lose his very expensive glasses when I made him go on a float trip with me. Oopsie. I think when I joined you for a fun float trip. Yeah, that's it. So much fun. <laughs> I don't make monkeys. I just train them. Oh, wait, that's what yeah. you're supposed to say. But I guess, so my perfect crime question mark, question mark. I think I was going to ask you what you think the perfect crime is. What would your perfect crime be? Oh, the first step of that is don't give it away on a podcast. <laughs> I, you know, I haven't really thought about the perfect crime. I, I've seen these cases where it seems like people do stupid things, but I don't know. Does does everyone else out there all think that they have a perfect crime? I've I've actually, you know, walked this through once, and I was like, am I smart enough? Do I am I create? I think it it involves a certain level of creativity. Yeah. Um, and I was like, maybe I am creative enough to come up with the perfect crime, but it really is the perfect crime in our heads, right? Like I feel. Like like there's always something that we would miss. Um, I also feel like we live in a different time now. Like the 1920s, it was before any sort of DNA. I feel like it should have been easier to get away with murder back then. And these two geniuses still effed it up. Oh, wait, your crime would be murder? I was just thinking of stealing some candy. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no, no. It Well, of course it would. I mean, would be- I'm just saying in terms of planning an interesting crime to get away with i think a heist would be great oh i feel like gosh. the crime would be a heist like, like you want to be like db cooper i want to steal like the mona lisa or something art theft would be so much fun yeah let's do exactly. that art theft is the way to go uh yeah i agree yeah murder's boring murder's cliche yeah <laughs> you put somebody in a vat of acid and yeah. dissolve their body whatever blah 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 let's steal but- the hope diamond Ooh yeah That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be All right. Cool. Yeah, we're not telling you guys our ideas. Yeah. Sorry. But it would be but involved. Anyway, yeah. Perfect crime, murder, art theft. Yeah. All right. Cool. I was just gonna ask you, but yeah, if you're if you're on the same page. Oh, I'm. Te- yep. I'm right there with you. I'll be your getaway driver. I'll All be right, the one sweet. that gets lowered in with like little harness on the rope. You'll have to hold the other end of the rope. Don't you dare drop me. <laughs> All right. So if the scream goes missing, eh, you know where to look first. Yeah. So then the other thing I have written down is affluenza which came to mind yeah exactly that face so affluenza is a term that came to prominence during the trial of ethan couch who is a young teen that while driving drunk killed four people and initially got away with no jail time you know blaming it on his parents not raising him right because they were just so wealthy he just had too many opportunities (laughs) Just, uh, it was just absolutely ridiculous, but I guess, yeah, I guess I thought of that a little bit just because even though they did not get away with it, you know, they went to jail. One of them was killed in jail. The fact that they did not get executed was kind of a miracle considering the press coverage. Now, this was the, this was the trial of the century. This was a huge deal. People wanted these kids dead dead d-e-d dead and you know they because of their parents wealth they were able to hire one of the greatest lawyers in the country clarence darrow who you might know from this trial you might know from the scopes monkey trial (laughs) which was i think just the next year like two years later and they they got life in prison they got they paid for the best outcome they got the best outcome and not everyone is that lucky no not everyone is and i think I think there's something to be said about the affluenza aspect of the crimes and um while leopold and Loeb, i think part of it came from their ego but i think while it does feel like it was largely from how smart they felt they were i think 
the wealth definitely had something to do with it with their standing in society. And like you said, if they could hire the best lawyer at the time and they felt confident that, you know, let's say their plan B was they get caught, they knew they wouldn't at least get the chair. I don't think they considered that they would get caught. So that, uh, I honestly yeah, don't. Yeah. No, that, that's a good point. Yeah. But their privilege did allow that to happen. Their privilege is probably what fed it. You know, the, their privilege, I'm sure, is what made them think that they would get away with it. I feel like they could be ever going trial. They could yeah. have been stupid. They could have just been real dummies and had done the exact same crime and had the same outcome. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it, it didn't matter. It's like their yeah. their brain meets like this was a ridiculous, yeah. a ridiculous plan to begin with. But I did, in terms of outcomes, I did kind of want to touch upon that comparison I was talking about earlier with Hickok and Smith. So these were two people who came from very poor families, who had a history of crime, who weren't dumb, but were not educated. You know, neither of them could go to college. I think Smith didn't even finish like high school. <laughs> and they committed this brutal murder you know quadruple murder but not for no reason i mean it was for no reason but they had a reason initially it ended up being for no reason because there was no safe but you know it was a robbery for money that they wanted and needed whereas for leopold and loeb what was ten thousand dollars to them uh they were both from wealthy families um you know i'm sure they wanted for nothing well i do want to say hickok and smith got away with it for like a couple months (laughs) so you know whereas leopold and loeb got away with it for like eight days (laughs) yeah it went it went wrong it went bad but you know hickok and smith both were hung and leopold died in puerto rico so um but yeah so actually with that transition do you buy the rehabilitation of leopold do you buy that he was snatching for that halo which is an extremely stupid name for a book almost as stupid as what was his first one life plus 99 years (laughs) hello genius do better Yeah, I think that's a great question. And while the intentions behind, I mean, I guess the motivation behind his intention is questionable. I do think like the fact that some positive things happen out of perhaps his selfishness that was masked as selflessness is good. Why I don't I don't think he learned anything from this whole uh imprisonment and from being caught and from Loeb being murdered in prison and then his subsequent release and life afterwards. I just have a feeling he was the exact, exact same person as he went in coming out. I feel the same way. I guess because to me he feels like he's like one of those psychopaths or sociopaths or whatever that could have been the CEO of a business versus being Ted Bundy like he you know he just didn't seem like he was going to be that serial killer type but you know it it is almost like Perry and Smith where like when you put the two of them together that is what catalyzed it so like them feeding off of each other feeding each other's egos that concept of the uber mention just created this situation where they were like yeah we can absolutely get away with murder whereas like independently they just would have been a pair of assholes <laughs> yeah 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 uh what do you think so you're oh, yeah you're no, already yeah, said, you already no, said so I, I, yeah <laughs> i agree i i mean i don't think he changed because I don't think 
he would have reoffended anyway. Yeah. You know, I think they were like, we can get away with murder. And they're like, oops, we can't get away with murder. Oh, well, I'm going to go count birds. <laughs> like It's like the mediocre supervillain who just retires. Yeah. But it's, yeah, so. you know, still ready. But I mean, I, I can appreciate that he got his sentence. He served his time. He got paroled. He contributed to society and then he died. I think that's what we should want for anyone who commits crime. Like, obviously, there are people who should be in prison forever and they tend to be in prison forever. Dennis Rader is not going to get parole, but I think that they had reason to believe that he would not reoffend and he did not. So, yay. But Bobby Franks is still dead. Died at 14. Never got a chance to go to Puerto Rico. (laughs) Probably. I don't know. He might have gone before then. Anyway. Um, So, um, let's see. Do I have anything else? Oh, as a little bonus information, after Leopold died, his corneas were donated. So Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's weird to think that there might be someone out there right now with the corneas of infamous child killer Nathan Leopold. The eyes of a killer. Isn't there um, a horror movie called The Eye where it's like someone gets an eye transplant and then they could see ghosts? Uh, no, it was, an yeah. a, it was like a... Oh, The Eye. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was uh, remade with um, Jessica Alba. Oh, right. But there was the original that was really good that I saw too. Yep. Yes. Yeah. I, th- I, I, I'm kind of fascinated by the whole like body parts, um, retaining the essence of the killer and then going on sprees beyond the, the host control. Yeah. I do like that. Yeah. There's a Michael Caine, Ma- Michael Caine, wait, <laughs> Michael Caine, a uh, movie called the hand where some asshole and he's like driving with his hand gesturing out the window and then the other car passes and knocks his hand off and the hand becomes evil and kills people. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about that terrible movie. It's called Idle Hands. Terrible? No, Idle Hands is great. <laughs> Idle Hands is a really fun movie. Is it? Yeah. It's a, yeah. I haven't seen it since it came out. Was that, that was like one of those early 2000 movies, wasn't it? That was like late 90s. Yeah. 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 Maybe I just wasn't old enough to appreciate yeah, it. I think you'd enjoy Idle Hands or rewatch. All right. Put it on our list. Yep. All right. Speaking of movies. Yes. Let us transition. That's right. So uh, sit tight and we'll be back with Murder by Numbers. One cannot live fully without embracing crime. A pact that requires that while some live, others die. On three. One. Two. Three. Welcome to Homicide. Systematic derangement of our senses. Let's derange the world. We will. Given the sloppy nature of the crime scene, they'll have their work cut out for them. She put up a fight. Good for you. Key thing is restraint. Don't call attention. Where were you last Thursday night? I was with a study group. Really? Well, I want you to know that I'm going to cooperate in any way that I can. Whoever is more powerful will dominate. No fingerprints, no murder weapon. He doesn't fit the profile. Yeah, the profile doesn't fit the profile. I've been trying to find Olivia's killer. Who the hell is Olivia? You're supposed to be identifying with the killer, not the victim. Hello? Can you tell her anything about us? I think these kids did this. I think they're not even hiding it, and I think they want us to know. So then the question is, how'd you pick the victim? Richard killed her. Didn't he, Justin? I think it was Justin. 
They have nothing. They have nothing on me. Stick together and stay calm until this is over. I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? I know how they did it. We have opportunity, now we need motive. It's one last thing to do and then we're home free. Did I get you? And we're back. Uh, we're going to chat about 2002's Murder by Numbers, which is an adaptation. It's inspired by the Leopold and Loeb case, which we just discussed loosely. Um, Very loosely. Yeah. But I think they get the essence of the characters down. So this film is about two gifted high schoolers, and they execute what in their minds is a perfect murder. And after that, they kind of get intertwined with a, well, really a, a not a battle of wills, just sort of an investigation between Sandra Bullock's character and themselves. So this is directed by Barbe Schroeder. And in looking up his directorial filmography, he has a couple of crime films that are um, thrillers, I guess, under his belt. And I've actually seen the couple of ones that I'm going to list out. So Desperate Measures, which starred Michael Keaton and Andy Garcia. It's one of those rare films that Michael Keaton played a bad guy. Now, I know that he's played a bad guy in the recent Spider-Man Homecoming, where he is Vulture. But at the time, back in the late 90s, it was quite the feat to see, you know, our former beloved Batman and Beetlejuice play the really bad guy in this movie. Aww. Um, yeah, I remember it being kind of fun at the time. I haven't revisited it, but uh, you may have seen that. He also directed Kiss of Death, which starred Nick Cage and Sam Jackson, and also David Crusoe from the, what is it? Uh, Miami, CSI Miami. Yes. Yeah, he like, did I that. have not seen any of those movies, but I have seen CSI Miami. All right, so he's the redheaded dude with sunglasses. Yes, the sunglasses right. is what I want you to know. So yeah. Like, Say half the joke and then put the sunglasses on. Finish it. <laughs> Land that punchline. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Uh, he did Single White Female, which is Bridget Fonda and Jennifer Jason Lee, And that's one we always bring up when we talk about creepy stalker stories of one person assuming the identity of another. Yes. And you realize it and you start seeing the person starts looking a little more like you. You know, maybe there's some motivation to erase the other person yeah. and that sort of plan. So that's, that's a creepy thriller. I feel like I'm uh, more likely to reference the bunny in the pot one. <laughs> that's oh, my favorite. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> my favorite yeah. stalker reference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he also did reversal of fortune, which is Jeremy Irons, who we talked about in our dead ringers episode in Glenn close. So, you know, this film is not oh, Glenn that. close. See, yeah. exactly. Yep. The fatal attraction. <laughs> So those, you know, this movie's not that far out of uh, Barbe's wheelhouse. And yet, yeah. I have not seen any of those movies that you listed. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> somehow. They're, yeah, they're all like late, mid to late '90s thrillers. Yeah. Writer was Tony Gayton. Um, I didn't really see anything extra remarkable that he has written before or since. So not much to talk about, I guess. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> um, Sorry. It looks like he's like, yeah, I guess he's like a big producer. So if you're listening, to, actually, Tony Gayton, listener of the show. Um, <laughs> just going to be a shout out. Great job writing this film. We we love it. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I, I lied, but 
you know, what can you do? I love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's talk about the cast. I often think it's good to start with a victim in a movie like this. Um, I think when we talked about River's Edge, I like to bring up the the actor who played the, the dead body. So in this case, it's Krista Carpenter is the actor and she portrays Olivia Lake, who's the capital V for victim in the credits. Yes. I think you see one scene of her putting her groceries in her car. And that's it. Other than that, she's a body. Well, she's she's tied up at several points when they're oh, they're talking crap. about. I forgot about getting that. Getting ready to kill at the very her. End. And yeah. yeah, yeah, ooh, yeah, yeah. There um, is quite a bit of range in that role. An unpleasant range. You could be a dead body, or you could be someone struggling for your life. Ooh. Well, and hearing your killers talking about the plan to kill yeah. you, like, oh, awful. Uh, we have Sandra Bullock in the role of Detective Cassie Mayweather. I guess like her other name is jessica marie hudson yes so yeah yeah who um, she is just my hero no yeah <laughs> i love Bullock. sandra Bullock. I, yeah, I do too i think <laughs> I, she's great i i'm not being sarcastic or ironic or whatever i love sandra bullock and this is a real um showcase of her acting talent really um i i always enjoy watching her in films too there's so. one thing i love more than just sandra bullock in general it's sandra bullock playing a cop because one of my favorite movies is Miss Congeniality. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right on. It's just an absolute classic. And yeah, she's she just knows what she's doing in that role. I feel like you could almost pretend that it's the same character. Yeah. She was a cop before <laughs> she comedy started versus acting. comedy thriller. Yeah. Was she really? No, no. I'm, not, I'm totally made that up. I believe it. I believe it, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, her partner in the film is uh, played by Ben Chaplin. He's Detective Sam Kennedy. And um, very cute, nice eyebrows. Yeah, no, he's a plus. He's the eye candy in this movie, not Ryan Gosling. <laughs> yeah, he's the the love interest. Yes. Uh, we have Ryan Gosling as Richard Haywood. Um, you'll you'll figure out really quickly who he is in the real life um, story. Yeah. And then we've got Michael Pitt, a good character actor who portrays uh, Justin Pendleton. So I was looking up the taglines for this movie. And I thought all three of them were really funny. Um, oh, no. Yeah. So the first one was, justice will be served. And I thought that had, like, nothing to do with, like, the movie at all. Also, spoiler alert. Yeah, it's like, okay. I feel like the whole movie, you should be questioning whether justice will be served or not. That's kind of the point. Yep. So, so maybe they were like, all right, maybe this one isn't great. We've got another great one we're going to go with. No. Um let the mind games begin. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm going to rename our podcast. <laughs> the mind games begin. All right, but you'll yeah. like the third one. The third and final I one. I already like that one. Oh, I'm all right. Sold. Well, this one <laughs> this one you'll really like. Um, the only flaw in their plan was her. <gasps> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, that is perfect. Yep. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So... And the her Sandra Bullock in case you didn't. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this film did actually not do very well at the box office. Uh, it had a fifty million dollar budget, which wow, none of that's on screen. Fifty million dollars? Was that all just what they paid Sandra Bullock to be in their movie? It had, I mean, go Sandra Bullock. If yeah. she got like forty nine million, they put a million dollars in into the the location and paid. You know, wow. But yeah, Man, damn. Interesting. Okay uh, then. Yeah, that was uh, $2,002. Yeah. They could have made a transform. Maybe they were all CGI. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and then it grossed like thirty-one million. Although worldwide, it almost matched its budget, but you know, it's still just not very, very successful financially. And you know, not that that's a big thing. It really doesn't matter. But it's just interesting to talk about because I mean, in this, it stood out just because the budget was huge. Like this feels like more. It's gonna of make a, it all back in me renting it on iTunes every yeah, day. Yeah, every so day we're gonna talk about this for the rest of back. my life. Yeah. Murder yeah. by numbers, box office numbers. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Um, a little trivia is that this film takes place, parts of it take place in uh, high school because both um, Ryan Gosling and Michael Pitt's characters are in high school, of course. And they had a plan to shoot in a this one high school, San, San Luis Obispo High School. But the superintendent changed his mind before they were filming because of the content. Which I don't. I'm guessing it's because two high school students plan and plot to murder a random person. Maybe they thought that yeah. would trigger some people in school. I have no idea. That seems, it seems silly. Weird. Yeah. I mean, not. I feel like all of the action has very little to do with high school. Yeah, it doesn't really center. It's. I mean, it's like the update is is high school, but yeah, yeah it's like this, this is silly. Um, we were talking about some of the other adaptations of this film. This is officially the fourth adaptation um first we mentioned alfred Hitchcock's rope in 1948 then compulsion which we mentioned 1959 and then um there's a film called swoon in 1992 directed by tom kalen i haven't seen it i haven't actually read up on it at all so i think it focuses a lot more on their relationship oh okay yeah Uh, i came across a little bit i did not read much about it all right so the title refers to the song murder my numbers which was a song by the police about planning the perfect murder and uh i don't know there's like we'll get to it but there's a scene where ryan gosling's character licks sandra bullock's face and that wasn't scripted oh um but i guess if i was that close to sandra bullock i might try it too <laughs> yeah, on, ooh. yeah can i can i look at he did ask for permission so okay know. um and also uh vomit is part of the story yes um and vomit right, plays a yes. very important role in the story a very important vomit role. is basically the glasses, the glasses. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um ryan gosling threw up during filming of the murder scenes oh really yeah oh that's kind of like cute in a weird way yeah 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 him and his little egghead at the time oh he was such a little egghead yeah but now he's a handsome man yeah hey girl (laughs) he's not gonna use cereal oh (laughs) he's got so many good memes yep he's all grown up and having multiple memes yeah so this is really he asked us personally to do this episode because of blade runner um that's coming out (laughs) Um, wait save that for your coming soon <laughs> oh yeah no. all right let's yeah that. i'm excited about that too though all right well enough of this uh behind the scenes business uh chelsea what do you think of murder by numbers i love it it's i feel like i have a personal nostalgia related attachment to this movie which uh, there's a handful of movies that i watched growing up that really stood out to me and this was one of them I'm still not sure what it is exactly about it. Even watching it a second time, as entertaining as I found it, it is weird how much it stood out to me. Is this one of like the earliest like thriller movies that I can distinctly remember watching? That you know centered around crime, which is my interest now, but kind of was at the time becoming my interest. So you know, yeah, I mean, I I think it really. Not only did it stand out, but it's been so long that like it's been so long since I've seen it that I was like 
a little embarrassed. I was like, what's David going to think? Is he going to judge me for like hyping up this movie? But I was like, no, it actually is like very, or, or, I thought it was very entertaining. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, I do think you're in for a treat. I mean, it's not like great, <laughs> you know, but I really enjoyed watching it. I love Sandra Bullock. It's like a very simple storyline. Like a lot of it's cliche, but in like a comforting way, you know, it's like the boxed macaroni and cheese of true crime movies. (laughs) It's very, it's the Annie's white cheddar mac and cheese of true crime movies. I was probably eating Annie's white cheddar mac and cheese the first time I watched the movie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Nom nom. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. (laughs) The end. What did you think of it? Oh no, I I liked it. Teasing of the uh, budget aside, because I yeah. really don't know how this movie costs fifty million dollars. That does seem crazy. There, I feel like the only special effects are maybe that last scene on the balcony. Yeah, I'm I mean sure they, they had they, to do something for. They that. built yeah. all that and then tore it down. I guess the house and everything. I don't uh, know. Maybe that was like a lot. But other than the budget, though, not going in not knowing anything about that, it was an enjoyable thriller. I thought that uh really i thought michael pitt did a great between sandra bullock ben chaplin so the two detectives relationship and and they do some interesting stuff that we can talk about when we go into the movie yeah um and then michael pitt now ryan gosling really is kind of for me his role his role is not minimized but he doesn't have a very showy i guess performance in it i feel like his character is the most like one note it, like yeah. he's just an asshole like he's an ass sorry i'm cursing a lot this episode <laughs> um oh shit <laughs> but that's like that's what he is which i don't know if you want to talk about now you know who the characters are but i would say he's the lobe of the movie but he's just a an asshole so even when he's you know when he's being himself at school or i don't know if he's being himself but when he's being his school persona you know he's known for being a jerk like a popular but a jerk you know when he's just with uh, Michael Pitt and can be himself. Guess what? Himself is also an asshole. Yeah. And when he's interacting with the police. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, no, definitely. We talk about our, our love of Sandra Bullock and well, let's just kick it off with her because I feel like she's the center point of the movie outside of the murder. Yeah. Um, she is the main character. She's a producer on the film and you know, I'm happy that whatever creative decisions got this movie made, it led to her being the focus. I mean, her story goes full circle in this with the events that unfold that are inspired by Leopold and Loeb case are kind of like tangential to this. You could really fit any sort of crime in the place of the crime that she's investigating. And I feel like her story still works in a lot of ways, but I guess we could kick off just chatting about the movie itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she feels important as our kind of window into the case because she's very smart She's very relatable and she feels very, you know, she's, she's the hero and the two high schoolers are the villains. Well, yeah. Like they have, you know, this power, they're, they're geniuses. That's true, true to the Leopold and Loeb stories. Like they're supposed to be kind of, you know, not, I don't know, not quite like the child prodigies because they are still in high school when they're 18. So, but they, they're supposed to be these hyper intelligent people and she's just you know she's like a i feel like with the gender reversed it would be like any kind of gumshoe you see where it's like she's really going with her gut instinct she's feminine in that 
the internal problem she's dealing with stems from an abusive relationship where she was victimized by her high school sweetheart turned husband turned violent abuser (laughs) so you know I like the way she has that kind of relatable struggle but then you know I can always appreciate a movie where you feel like you have a female character but changing the genders doesn't change like too much so you know I like that she's kind of the one pursuing the relationship with her partner and saying she just wants it to be sexual. It doesn't need to be you know, anything beyond that, <laughs> which is like, it's different even now than what you see in a lot of female characters in movies and TV shows. I just, I love her. And like, I, I love her character in this. <laughs> I cannot yeah, the, stress that enough. <laughs> um, the seduction scene. Well, her character actually reminds me of Jillian Anderson's character in the fall. Yeah. In that, you know, she's a detective who is a strong-willed woman and they're not they're not defining the character by gender, right? Yeah. It could in some ways be interchangeable with a quote leading man yeah. role, right? But at the same time, you know, I feel like to me she has kind of a an authentic female detective voice. Yeah. Right. And it's just interesting to see that with Richard and Justin's characters relationship in high school and how we meet them in the beginning of the film yeah and seeing their plans to commit the crime unfold yeah right so how do we start off we start off with sort of a flash forward of richard and justin holding guns up to their heads in the cabin yes and it's sort of like all of a sudden we flash forward to sort of i guess present day yeah yeah before they've committed this crime so you're already dive in you know something big is happening in the future and you realize that this is kind of the story of how do they get to be sitting or kneeling across each other holding guns to their head in some kind of suicide pact right and now you had mentioned the similarities between um ryan gosling's lobe um he's more outgoing of the two but Michael Pitt's character and his like similarities to being Leopold, which that, I guess, mirroring pays off at the end of the film, too, which yeah. I don't want to jump straight yeah. to the end. But I just wanted to mention it before I forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we want to talk about, well, I guess how, how in-depth do we want to get? Um, I don't know. God, we've already been talking for how long? <laughs> 20 minutes. Oh, gosh. I mean, uh, I mean about the film part itself. Yeah. <laughs> so... We can just briefly go over. So um, Michael Pitt, his character is giving a speech at school, kind of setting up like he's like the nerd and Ryan Gosling is kind of like the lazy guy who sleeps in class, but is also clearly like still very intelligent and like asks an intelligent question after Michael Pitt gives his little like spiel about how, you know, if you can commit crimes and be like free of guilt or something it's basically like the idea of the the Nietzsche idea and you know he'll later say that his big thing was like he would want to take indefensible points and defend them and that's why he gave that speech but you know it was truly what he believes you'll come to see is that to be free you should be able to commit the crime and not feel anything so it seems like they're not friends but then later on you see now they're both in that creepy old abandoned broke down house that you saw in that first scene and they're actually hanging out together and they're actually very good friends to the point where they have a freaky photoshopped 
image of their faces combined, like printed out on nine sheets of paper on a plank of wood. And it is horrendous. They should not breed because their spawn would look insane. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. And I like zoned out for like a minute and like, like that like snapped me back and I, I didn't realize what was going on. Like it felt yeah. like a very like David Lynchian moment. I was like, <laughs> are we watching Twin Peaks all of a sudden? I was like, yeah. it, it was like, wait, what? And I was like, oh, that's the Gosling Pit baby. Yeah, it is. It is bizarre. So yeah, so they're hanging out and Ryan Gosling starts getting really mad because I guess they had been talking about committing the perfect crime. Sorry, I'm just going to keep calling him Ryan Gosling and Michael Pitt. I can't help it. (laughs) Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, Ryan Gosling is getting really fed up because they've been talking about committing this crime and planning it forever. And it seems like it's never going to happen. And then Michael Pitt is like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And Ryan Gosling's like, when? And then I think after that, it just cuts to like them finding the body. So clearly now, now is when the crime is happening. Now is when it's happening. And you know, while it doesn't have the like weight of in cold blood, it is a similar yeah. like skipping forward to the murder happening, you know. So th- I, I yeah. thought that w- I thought that was really effective. I I had never seen trailers for this movie or anything, so mm-hmm. I was going in cold. So I had not seen any imagery of this film. But like we meet Sandra Bullock's character, so we meet the detectives Cassie and Sam um, rather quickly uh, yeah. at the crime scene, and um, they call her the hyena. Yep, because yep. apparently female hyenas have a little like faux penis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, she has like that funny exchange uh, with her partner. I guess he's like her new partner because she has trouble keeping police partners because she's just too badass for them. Yep. She's uh, too awesome. Yeah. Or he's like, well, what do you do about that? And she's like, I wear loose pants. <laughs> <laughs> I just I I love her in this. Um, but anyway, you know she's. They find some puke. Yeah, they find some puke. Like right away. Yeah. Like it's like. And you're like, oh, oh, all right. Yeah. These guys were somebody, somebody couldn't hold in their, yeah. their dinner um, or breakfast or whatever. All right. So without, I, we could paint. Big, yeah. Big broad strokes. strokes. So anyway, so. they, you know, do their forensic thing, look around for clues. Sandra Bullock sees the body, how it's dumped. And you could tell she's kind of affected by it more than maybe one might expect. And later on, you find out that's because she was attacked by her ex-husband and I guess he thought she was dead and dumped her body in a very similar fashion. So like wrapped in plastic, kind of dumped by a creek. And she gets a letter in the mail that day that he's up for parole and she does not want to go to the parole hearing. And so her story, you know, kind of kicks off fairly early in the film. Yeah. So there's motivation for her to not only do whatever she can to solve this crime but also kind of like i guess like you're learning more about her but she's learning more about herself yeah um which i think is a really good kind of arc for her character yes it's like not like she's is it right is it like accurate to kind of say she's finding the the her the inner strength that she always had um yeah like to um i guess keep this guy yeah in in jail Um, yeah well i think you know her her partner says kind of later on when she's having her moment of revelation that ignoring it is not like a sign that she's moved past it or anything. It's actually a sign that it's still like, she's still caught up in it, but you know, that's, that's a conclusion for later on. (laughs) But basically what happens is there's a ton of forensic evidence on the body. There's fibers and uh, baboon hair. There are these, you know, shoe print 
clues um, and all this stuff. And we know as the audience that it's all very deliberately planted by Michael Pitt and Ryan Gosling, which I think is a really cool kind of update to the Leopold and Loeb story. You know, when you think about what kind of planning would they put into the perfect crime nowadays, it would be planting fake forensic evidence. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No. It, which it, that would not be my perfect crime. I feel like no one should think that they can outsmart science. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ryan Gosling like betrays his like close older friend in order to. Yes. Yeah. So all the evidence um, they plant is framing the like school janitor that is like friends with Ryan Gosling and like sells him pot or whatever. So like while at the house, he steals all the forensic evidence. But I also feel like it's very deliberate. So like the shoe prints that they plant are these really expensive shoes that belong to Ryan Gosling's character. So he kind of puts himself in a position where he would be interviewed by the cops. And that's how he and Sandra Bullock's characters meet. And, you know, I think that reminded me a little bit. I know, like I say, he's the lobe, but it's a little bit Leopold there where he would like go to the press to talk about this case when like he's the one that committed the crime. Oh, and it just like yeah. that creep factor comes out yeah. so hard with his like, he's just like his swagger yeah. and like his confidence, you know, because at one point Sandra Bullock's character is surveilling uh, Richard and Justin to, to get them uh, I guess together get evidence that they're together yeah. because you know both of them say that they don't know each other I mean she straight up confronts Justin and is like do you know Richard Haywood blah 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 yeah. and he's like no but he has like this is his sign and this is blood type and <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and it's as soon as uh, Richard says that his shoes were stolen all the police are just ready to move on right so they're like oh well he didn't have the shoes he filed this report at the principal's office like two weeks before the murder so he clearly didn't have the shoes at the time of the murder but you know sandra bullock is she's following her gut she also you know richard reminds her of her ex-husband as like this guy that was like really popular and handsome in school but was awful and she decides to pursue it so, yeah, so she goes and she talks to, well, she talks to Justin after they look at the vomit and see that there was caviar. And she like goes back and looks at restaurants that serve caviar and not many high school students go there and eat it. But Justin did. So, you know, she kind of connects them. Justin admits that he tutored Richie and the picture is forming in Sandra Bullock's head. But all of the evidence is pointing to this other person. You know, the police are following that trail. They go to his house. They see the carpet fibers that match. They see that he has a baboon. And they're like, this is our guy. And Sandra Bullock's like, that's not your guy. And then the baboon but bites her. The baboon does bite her. Just like the Jerk. chimpanzee bit um, Jennifer Connelly in Phenomenon, oh. one of our previous episodes. <laughs> but yeah, so she, you know, she is following her gut. She has made these connections and eventually it does pay off so she's able to basically realize so initially like the two were very careful about having alibis 
So they broke a clock in the woman's house to make it seem like she was attacked at 9.30, which is when, what's his name, Richie would have been at the study group with people and wouldn't have had, it to, had enough time to commit the murder. But then you know, she's able to realize because of muddy footprints inside this. Sorry, now I'm getting really really complicated but there are muddy footprints inside the house she realizes that the sprinklers in the yard turn on at 3 30 so the woman was actually abducted from her house in the afternoon and it turns out that she was taken alive from the house and brought to the basement of richie's house where they're doing like it looked like maybe some kind of construction or something and so she was actually you know although she was killed around 9.30, which is what they determined by taking like the liver temp of her body after they found the body. She was actually already in his house at the time. So um, anyway, so yeah. So basically, once they realized that the stories of the two boys unravel and they almost... Conf- oh, see, we didn't even bring up the girlfriend... <laughs> Yeah, there's a girlfriend, but just watch the movie for that storyline. Yeah, but basically they're like they almost get a confession until uh, Richie Rich, Richie Rich's lawyers show up and are able to take them home. And then the two boys run away to that broke down mansion. And you see that scene in the beginning where they're kneeling across from each other. And you think that they're both about to commit suicide. Yeah, I'll let you take this twist. Oh, yeah. yeah, that Ryan Gosling. Yeah, you think he's so handsome? He's such a stinker. Yeah, he's a slinker stinker for sure because they're ready to um, pull the trigger and Michael Pitt is like, points a gun up in there at the last second and fires and it's a, it's, it's a live round. Yeah. The chamber is full. And yeah, that bastard, yep. Ryan Gosling, sweet looks and all, he has an empty gun. There yep. are no bullets in his revolver at uh, all. After everything, after all of his talk with Michael Pitt, you know, you want to talk about the Leopold and Loeb connection where Leopold seemed to have real genuine affection for Loeb that Loeb was using basically to get Leopold to be his partner in crime. It seems like a very similar situation yeah, between Justin and Richie, including, as I was saying, that girlfriend where like Justin almost gets a girlfriend and then Richie goes and like sleeps with her and sends a videotape to Justin because he felt like Justin was abandoning him. And he's like, this girl's not good enough for you. Yeah, it's creepy. But can I just say it does look like Ryan Gosling, he's younger, but he does look like it's Ryan Gosling in a microwave just a little bit too long, like 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. It's like reverse, though. Maybe he needs to go into the microwave for 10 seconds, and that's how and he turns into hot Ryan Gosling. Uh, it could be. Yeah. That's like when I you... mean, he's, he's attractive now. Yeah. He's just a little bit funny looking in this movie. Yeah. 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 And it's not just like where his character is so awful that it detracts from how he looks. Something's just not there. No, I need to cook a little bit more. Yeah. that Put that bun back in the oven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Justin's like, you were going to watch me kill myself, weren't you? Yeah. And and uh and Richard's like yeah, yeah yeah and then it's it's suddenly like mono mono yeah and then <laughs> so they're like fighting a little bit but then Sandra Bullock pulls up yeah it turns into like a horror movie because it's, it's oh my god yeah, yeah. Like, full on like I was like all right I'm in this movie <laughs> yeah well though it's you can kind of you can start getting a little bit suspicious so it's like Michael Pitt sees Sandra Bullock pulling up and like he had had the gun 
on Ryan Gosling slash Richie. And then when she pulls up, he puts the gun to his own head and starts like the waterworks a little bit. Oh, and then he's you know? the slinker stinker. Yeah. There. And then, oh, he's, yeah. And then he's the slinker stinker. So, yes, yeah, Sandra Bullock and Ryan Gosling have a gun battle in this old house, like old broke down house with holes all over the floor. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, that's where the movie was going. But, it, you know. It's no, it's entertaining. Yeah. It's highly entertaining. Yeah. I, I know it sounds a little yeah. ridiculous, but you gotta see it. Yeah, um, and it ends with uh, they both lose their guns. They're now they're mano y mano on this like balcony, this crumbling wooden balcony, and like he has his hands around her neck. He licks her face, and it's awful. It's disgusting. <laughs> Um, and she's like kicking at the railing, kicking at the railing. And in the last second, she's able to like break it and flip him over her. He goes off the cliff. Well, and there's like a, a sound clip, right? Of her like remembering yeah. of fighting her husband, yeah. her husband attacking her. Yeah. And she gets that inner strength yep. Um, from, I guess, that memory, right? Yep. And uh, off he goes. Somebody needs to make a supercut of the villains falling with their face to the camera yeah. down 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 yeah. and then he just smacks them into the smash. rocks not even into the ocean into the rocks no, no. r.i.p ryan R- gosling aka richie yeah bye-bye bye-bye but yeah so but she's on the edge of this crumbling balcony so you know you think she's gonna fall to her death michael pitt comes up he has um a busted arm for a second you think like oh he's just gonna like watch her fall or he's gonna like knock her off because he gets this like piece of a wood leg it's like oh so he's like still the bad guy because she does a little bit like no 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 yeah but then it turns out he actually helps her so he like Holds down a piece of wood for her to grab, helps her up, ooh. and oh, ooh. Uh, I think he's a little young for her, high school age. But yeah, so it's a happy ending. Michael Pitt is asking Sandra Bullock, "What's what's gonna happen to me?" And she's like, "Well, you know, you're young and." You saved my life, and Ryan Gosling's the one that killed that girl anyway, so I'll work it out, and you'll be fine. Yeah, until she sees <laughs> in the mirror that her strangulation marks has a ring indentation on yeah. her throat, and that is from Ryan Gosling's character. There was no mark on poor Olivia Lake um, on her body. Yes. So she so. has de- deduced... <laughs> yeah the yeah this (laughs) this twist reminded me so much of in cold blood because you have this pair of killers you know one is set up to be more sympathetic and then because this is also where they they actually insert a flashback to kind of show what happened and yeah it's turns out it was michael pitt's character all along oh killed her so you know they show i guess Ryan Gosling was going to kill her, but couldn't do it. And he brings up that that speech that Justin had said earlier about, you know, only someone who's really free can commit that sort of crime. And he wants to prove to Richie that he's free. So he says that he'll do it. And he does. So he's the one that actually strangles um, Olivia and kills her. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So, but, so Sandra Bullock realizes it in that moment, but she still needs to figure out a way to get Justin to 
confess. Right. So, so she grabs Sam and she's like, yeah. whisper something into my ear. And he's like a little bit slow. So it's one of those moments of where you're kind of holding your breath like, yeah. ah, but then he gets it and then she does. And then, you know, he kind of fakes, fakes out, I guess, fakes Justin out a little bit yeah. by reacting the way he does. And then she yeah. has that plan to kind of, yeah. you know, trigger him yeah. to confess. So, so yeah, so what she goes back to him after Ben Chaplin leaves and she says, oh, so why didn't you tell me that there was a videotape of the murder? And <laughs> Justin goes, what? <laughs> Say what? And she says, yeah, it's like that same secret camera that he used to like film himself having sex with your girlfriend. It was running when the murder was committed. And it's like, they're about to go watch it now. And then... Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. Um, yeah, Justin's like, wait, I have something I need to confess. And then she's like, save it for court, mother effer, and walks out. And then, yeah. Well, the except, well, that's not actually the end because it ends with... She goes to testify uh, at the parole hearing for her awful ex-husband. So. Yeah, there's a great moment where awesome. she's sitting alone yeah. and, and they call her name. They're like, Jessica Marie Hudson or whatever. Yeah. And you give... They give that pause no. that's like, oh, she's not quite ready. I mean, we, you know, you know. She's well, you don't even to, know if she's here. It's like panning yeah. down the yeah, yeah, hallway yeah. of like, like, you know, women sitting, waiting. Yeah. And then she s- still sits for a minute. Yep. And, you know, give you that like little moment. And then she gets up and goes. And, yeah. And then you know that she's like, just like it kind of completes her story. Yep. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's, she's a really good actor. So good job, Sandra Bullock. Excellent. Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I nothing thought- but respect for my president. Oh wait, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was a fun movie. We chose an Alfred Hitchcock film over this, and I enjoyed it. You know, I we did. Didn't, I you mean time. we chose this over an Alfred Hitchcock film? Oh, I'm sorry. What did I say? <laughs> oh, I said it the wrong way. I'm, yeah. I don't know. We've been talking about this movie forever. <laughs> yeah, so we, you know, we chose this over an Alfred Hitchcock film. So I thought it was really entertaining. So. Probably not as good as Rope. I have not seen Rope. I would really like to. And I think that we will at some point. Maybe we'll do like a little mini sewed update. But this was just a lot of fun to watch. And, yeah. you know, these movies aren't always fun to watch. So when we have the opportunity to watch something, not, not to say it's lighthearted, but it's fun. Yeah. I'm going to take that opportunity and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Yeah. And then <laughs> the research kinda... is hard enough. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like a horror movie. So yeah. Got yeah. That. But yep. All right. Well, that is Murder by Numbers uh, tying into the case of Leopold and Loeb. Thanks for sticking with us for another episode. Just wanted to say thank you for, um, yeah, join us <laughs> on yeah. another uh, story that we're going to chat to you about. Uh, can I say that any more awkwardly? <laughs> um all right so uh do you have any now playing so i think to be fair to my research i do need to confess that my now playing which i listened to on repeat the entire time i was doing this research is the song sign of the times by harry styles the member of one direction which i am not a one direction fan i have never sat down and listened to One Direction or any of its individual members now solo careers but I was scrolling Twitter and I came across him doing like a live recording of the song and I was like hmm I don't hate this and then I put it on and I listened to it for like six hours straight so I could probably never listen to it again in my life but if you're curious what I was listening to while reading about 
the murder for some reason it was harry styles sign of the times did you feel like you were losing your mind at any point because i i have i listened to like a remix album like a year or two ago that was all the same song i didn't realize it i thought it was just like the same on repeat and i but there was just enough difference each time and it was like an hour and i felt i felt really weird afterwards no it was like it just all kind of blended together it was pretty soothing actually so you're saying you're gonna do some karaoke when we go out no no i won't I don't want anyone to know I listen to Harry Styles except every person who's listening to this podcast. All right. Don't tell anybody. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's our little secret. All right. So All that's right. your now that's playing. That's my now playing. What's your now playing, David? It. It. Uh, yeah. yeah. I did not watch It for six hours straight. <laughs> um, just the running time was two hours and 15 minutes and it was amazing. Um, I loved It. I read It. Yeah. <laughs> I, read, I read the novel, I guess, before... Because I'm old, I read it before. Wait, I'm not going to let anybody know that. (laughs) So I've read the book and I've seen the miniseries. I like both of them. I think that the book is ending anticlimactic. And I think the movie's ending is a little bit better, but it's also a little bit womp womp. But I like it now. We we, we rewatched it recently. Wait, are you talking about the movie or the miniseries? The miniseries. Oh, the mini. So So it only tells half the story. Yeah, the the new movie. The new movie only tells the first half of the story. Yeah, but that's I love the ending of the movie. Yeah, Yeah, I thought it wrapped up well. And Pennywise is like very i mean close to like freddy krueger level yeah. villainy villainy uh iconic villain of the times yes. and uh i loved it i thought it was awesome and i can't wait to see it again yeah save some discussion on that yeah i don't want to talk mini- too much yeah, about yeah we'll, we'll probably there might be a little something in your future with a more in-depth discussion we'll see if it's in the cards yeah we'll see um all <laughs> we'll right. put out our yeah. it review like one to two weeks after everyone else puts out their it review because my podcast thing is just full like Almost every podcast I listen to has reviewed it. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to yeah. call it Pennywise. Um, <laughs> do you have any coming soon? Oh, um, I think American Vandal is on Netflix now. So that's their mockumentary series. I hate the word mockumentary, but I guess that's what we're calling them now. But yeah, it's like the fake documentary kind of in the style of Making a Murderer where it's a high school teen that drew penises on all of the cars in the parking lot or did he <laughs> um, and that's the story so i that either just came out or it's coming out soon and i would very much like to watch it that document that trailer, it's just so funny oh it's really funny oh what's your uh coming soon david my coming soon is a dark night and this is an older horror movie that was recently re-released on blu-ray and it's about a world famous psychic is found dead along with several victims of his bizarre experiments on the same day his body is interred in a mausoleum high schooler julie wells agrees to spend the night there all alone as part of a hazing later that night the sisters secretly return to torment julie in an attempt to scare her out of her mind but the girls are not alone Ooh, that looks good or uh, that looks good that sounds good yeah it sounds fun it's directed by tom uh mclaughlin who directed um jason lives friday the 13th part six generally um considered one of the best of them is that coming out in theaters or is it on no we have the blu-ray it's a re-release what yeah oh wait wait we have it (laughs) yeah that's the one that we got last week oh Okay, let's watch it. Yep. Let's go watch it right now. Yeah, we're going to go watch that right now. So, uh, but first... Wrap this up? <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> <It's been> so long. <laughs> <laughs> All 
so long. So that's our now planet coming soon. So if you guys want to check um, all that stuff out, please do. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, which I've been thinking about that recently. And everyone says it at the end of their podcast, but I don't think I know the difference between rating and reviewing. Do you? Does anyone? Tweet at us at True Crime Based. Why are we saying this? Well, the <laughs> rating is the star rating, and but it's all part of the process of yeah. um uh I just always submitting a with, review. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think it's just like review. Like please review us yeah. on iTunes or Stitcher. There's yeah. places um on both of those channels to do so. But I guess rate us also because that's what people say. Yeah. Rate and review. Rate, we can tell it's review, a one-step subscribe. process, everyone. You just have to. Yeah, you actually don't need to do three things. No. Um, it's just one thing. Exactly. Where you both rate and review us in one easy step, preferably five stars. Yeah. I would take four stars. I know we're not perfect. You're perfect. I'm not. <laughs> You're a five star. But, but yes, uh, we're on social media pretty much everywhere. As I said, Twitter at True Crime Based, Instagram at Based on a True Crime. Facebook based on true crime podcast. We have a website based on truecrime.com where you can request free stickers. And also you can contact us through a contact page. We've had quite a few people do it and, you know, tell us that they love what we're doing, which we absolutely love to hear. Um, also giving us cool suggestions for future episodes, which I am diligently keeping track of. I feel like we're gonna have to start putting out episodes three times a week to cover all of these but but our october is set though so if you're suggesting things it'll be a little while but we're really excited about our october because there is going to be a bit of a horror slant gotta appease the david you know we most octobers we watch horror movies almost every night so that's what we intend to keep doing exactly Yeah, so thanks, everyone. Yes, thank you guys so, so, so much. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you soon. Just wanted to remind you that death is but a door. And time is but a window. We'll be back.